0: Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Plant Powered People Podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Antonio Komodo. Today, we have an incredibly inspiring guest. We were riveted talking to him. His name is Dom Thompson. He's an athlete and so much more. We're excited to bring him on.
1: Yeah, we brought him on specifically to talk about his fantastic experience as a triathlete, as a bodybuilder, as someone who is very involved in athleticism in general. However, we do our podcast unscripted and we love to see in which directions just conversing with each other will take us. And so this one ended up in a little bit of a different area, but nonetheless, it is extremely inspiring, totally fascinating. It's an origin story that is unique and discusses what it's like to hit rock bottom and to build yourself up as someone who is kinder, compassionate, and better than you ever were. So we're excited to uh, bring Dom on and enjoy the episode. Hi, Dom. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast.
2: Hi ladies, thank you for having me and more importantly, thank you to the audiences that are tuning in right now to listen to. I really appreciate you. You all taking the time to listen to us today.
1: Where are you calling us from today?
2: ATL. You ever been?
1: <laughs> I have not, but I I see that there's a lot of really good vegan food there right now. What's your favorite?
2: There's Well, I mean, it depends on who you're asking. There we we don't have a very uh, strong vegan community here, uh, and and granted, I travel all over the world, so I'm a little bit spoiled. I admit that. <laughs> so with that being said, compared to the other communities that have other vegan restaurants and and the scene, we're definitely behind times. And in terms of my favorite spot here, it's going to be hands down my kitchen. If I'm from being honest. <laughs>
1: okay. uh,
2: awesome. Yeah, it's my it's my own kitchen. But yeah, and and this is also one of the reasons heads up why I'm opening up a vegan restaurant here in Atlanta uh, next year. And we'll get into that later, but I'm really excited about that.
0: Can't wait to hear more about that. It's a yeah. good thing you're doing that because I was going to say otherwise. When people visit Atlanta, just show up on Dom's doorstep with an empty plate. Knock, knock, knock.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're not, coming for not the best vegan year. food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next year you can show up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. That's so great. I actually kind of miss being in. So when I first went vegan, I went vegan in Cleveland, Ohio, which. Also 13 years ago, and at the time it was very not a vegan friendly space. and I kind of miss that because you are like at the heart of so much of the new things happening. you know you can have such an impact in your community because it does what you're creating and what you're sharing doesn't exist there yet. so that's that's really cool and I'm so glad that you're there as a presence.
2: yeah, it's a lot of opportunities to truly educate people about plant-based eating and also show them different entrees that really fulfills all types of palates and preferences. So I'm really looking forward to introducing uh, this community to a lot of ways you can eat plant-based because we all know there's probably over 20 different ways you can eat plant-based and some people seem to think that it's only one way. So hopefully we can do some unpacking on this episode and educate people about that.
1: So can you tell us a little bit about the types of food you grew up did you actually grow up in Atlanta or are you an Atlanta transplant?
2: No, I'm not. I'm a transplant. I grew up, I was b- born in Chicago and raised in Chicago, heart of the Midwest, steak and potatoes <laughs> type of community or culture and more. So yeah, I grew up in the Midwest of Chicago. I come from humble beginnings and we grew up eating a lot of uh, chicken wings and whatever my mom could afford. She was a nurse working two jobs. We stayed in a one-bedroom apartment, Um, myself, my two older sisters, and my mom. So it was four of us, a single-parent home. And so I grew up eating a lot of food that was what many know today as food that they would give historically what we call soul food, but it's just basically scraps and secondhand feedings from uh, slavery days. And some of us still will highlight that as a a good palate. And that's just not the ideal way to highlight that or advocate that as if that's really good food. Uh, I hate to say soul food, but, you know, it is part of the Black culture that, you know, it's part of my people's culture, which a lot of us are trying to unpack and educate people with, with respect to that. So I grew up eating a lot of that stuff.
1: Can you give us an example for those who don't know uh, what soul food may be?
2: Yeah, soul food can consist of anything from pork chops to macaroni and cheese, collard bones, uh, greens, chitlins, cornbread, <laughs> uh, all that stuff that will clog up your arteries. <laughs> a lot of heavy infused meat products, that are just loaded with animal fats and more. That's just truly unhealthy, truly unhealthy for any human being to consume.
1: And for how long did you eat like that? The whole time you were living with your mom or at some point in your younger years, did you consider the food that you were eating?
2: I was always that kid with some of the kids you see today that go viral questioning where this food came from. So when I was about eight years old, up until that point, I was always a fickle eater. I didn't like eating anything where meat was attached to the bone structure. And I always questioned like, you know, this is a body part to me. It looked like a body part. So I was a little bit advanced with that, but there was one point where my mom was feeding me chicken wings and I looked at those wings, and looked at her, and I looked at my arms, and I pushed to her that I didn't want this. I was eight years old at the time, and she was like, "Why?" I was like, "Well, they look like little bitty arms," and she was kind of puzzled and shocked. <laughs> she didn't know what to say, kind of threw her off guard. And this is in the '80s, but I pretty much went on a hunger strike, and and my mom was like, "Well, you're not going to eat." It's kind of hard to tell a single very independent, alpha-strong Black woman. You're not going to eat her food or anything she can provide. But I'm a mom's kid, meaning she raised me to always speak my mind, even to her. So I was like, I'm not going to eat this. And we got a problem (laughs) because we bumped heads. But she eventually compromised, and she didn't know what to do at first, but she was like, you know, i got to feed them something. And she learned that I was okay with eating food that was mass, meaning like uh, fish sticks was okay to me, chicken nuggets was okay, stuff that was breaded where the meat wasn't attached to the structure of a bone. Um, Because those chicken wings, there's a lot of tendons, as you know, and I would go through those tendons (laughs) just to get to the little slimy part of the meat. Sounds so delicious. Yeah, it it was so disgusting. I, to some people, it is like you. You ever, and it's so funny because I would have family members or friends I grew up with. They would finish eating the chicken wing like savages. It would just be nothing but the bone left. <laughs> I would judge them. I would look at them like you're a savage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's so interesting that you that you made that connection so early. I feel like we have similar stories in that realm where I also wouldn't eat things that were obviously from an animal. And even like with eggs, I don't know if you had the thing with eggs, but at one point I stopped eating hard boiled eggs because it looked like a what I could imagine would become a chick inside of a yeah menstrual cycle yeah item. <laughs> and and so I wouldn't eat that, but I would eat scrambled eggs because my brain was just like so disconnected from that.
2: Yeah. Same with, with eggs. So I was okay with scrambled eggs. Ironically, I was okay with fried eggs up to a point when I was a kid and then I got older, I was like, no, but I will remove the yolk and I, I just felt like, Ugh. or that little white membrane that was hanging on to the yolk. <laughs> <I would> <laughs> <take>. <laughs> That's how finicky of an eater I was. I would take the spoon, even when I would bake, because I, I grew up baking a lot, like, you know, because my mom was always gone. She worked two jobs. So I had to fend for myself. And I had teenage sisters that just didn't, you know, how this teenage, they don't care about your younger brother. They're too busy chasing boys and doing their own thing. So, <laughs> so I had to cook a lot for myself. But even when I was baked, I would take, or anything had anything to do with eggs, I would just take a spoon and carve out that little white membrane because I felt like, ugh, it just, it just grossed me out. It really did. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, I think all people need to hear, I'm going to completely change my approach of food advocacy because now as that I'm hearing you actually describe animal products, I've never heard eggs described as having a membrane. And it's like, now I know exactly what you're saying. And I just have the EBGBs. And I'm sure even people who eat, who, who eat eggs like that, that's nasty to think about.
2: <laughs> it really is. It really is. So I was a lot like you. The boiled eggs was not my thing. Strawberry eggs is fine. Uh, same thing with any meat products that, unfortunately, most of those products is processed foods. And it's just un, it's not healthy, uh, even even being removed from that bone structure. So I've, I grew up eating a lot of those products, specifically a lot of fish sticks. That was my favorite. I was like a pescatarian slash almost a vegetarian and stuff. So yeah, I ate a lot of carbs too. Well, I
0: have to give a shout out to your mom because as a new mom of one with a partner and working from home and being just like set up in life in a way where I felt super ready to handle it all. It's a lot. And I cannot even imagine like trying to just being a working single mom, feeding three kids, especially when at least one of them is bullheaded as I was too. (laughs) It is a lot. So way to go, mama. And um, yeah, it sounds like as just a great relationship to be able to find that compromise together.
2: Yeah, for sure. Because there are people living under their parents' roofs where they don't have any options, and they will have to eat. I travel a lot, and I, as you all may be aware, I do a lot of keynotes, and I'm always getting that in my Q and A from my younger fans and audience, always so saying, "I don't know what to do. My parents won't feed me what I want." And these are like 15 year olds, 13 year olds. Uh, some of the youngest are like 11 telling me these things. And it's it's really sad that they don't have parents that have an open mind. Because I feel like with evolution, more and more, and this is true, more and more parents are totally open to their kids eating more plant-based. But compared to my generation, that was like a no-no. That's like, oh, you need your protein. They just think your protein came from one source. But there's still those traditional parents out there that are not compromising, sadly. So... So shout out to all the moms and dads that are listening too as well that have an open mind. They may not want to go plant-based, but they totally are open to allowing their kids to explore that option.
0: Yes.
1: Were you still in the in the house when you became fully vegetarian?
2: No, not at all. So I, again, I, I grew up continuing to eat that way. Typical Midwest diet that even though I wasn't eating food that was like traditionally attached to an animal bone, I, in that capacity. I still ate a lot of Midwest food, such as Italian beefs and sausages, Polish sausages and stuff. Again, these, this is, this is flesh in the casing. And it just, as long as there was no bone structure, I was fine with that and kind of grew, grew out of it. Meaning like I kind of, that original experience as an eight-year-old Dominic kind of just disappeared as I got really busy with becoming a teenage boy. And coming from humble beginnings and running the streets of Chicago. I used to be a part of a gang and all of that stuff. And, and and I used to sell drugs as a teenager and more. So that was the last thing on my mind was food. Like I wasn't as critical as I was. Uh, it was in the back of my mind to a certain extent, but I didn't really think too much of it because I would eat Chicago deep dish pizza, you know, and I didn't know anything about dairy. I ate a lot of a lot of cheese pieces and stuff like that. So I would eat all of those different other Chicago staples uh, for sure. And it wasn't until I, we can get into this later, but it wasn't until I ended up hitting rock bottom and serving time uh, in prison. That's when I had a chance to really make a hard decision to do a hard reset and to finally see through and to remove meat from my product. Uh, and that was about 20, remove uh, meat. Animal products from my diet with respect to dairy and cheese, because I didn't know better at the time. And that was 20 years ago. I went, um, I went vegetarian, plant-based in 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 prison and never looked back.
1: I am completely fascinated by your story. This is this is a type of story that you don't hear very often in the plant-based space. So if you feel comfortable, will you talk about what that was like in prison to Come into this type of information and then to make that change in a place where you don't have a lot of control over what you're eating?
2: Yeah. So, again, I'm an open book. You guys can ask me, you ladies can ask me anything, but this was about 19, 20 years ago. uh, And I was sitting there my first week in prison. I was still in denial, uh, but I was trying to make sense of how did I go from getting ready to finish college. And to my former lifestyle of being a drug dealer, catching up with me to being here in prison. And here I was. I mean, obviously, for every consequence there uh, or for every action, there's going to be a consequence. Uh, but something was deeper with this scenario. And it's not like I was a reckless dude. It's not like I was the evil dude on a, on a reckless pathway. I was doing I was one of those drug dealers or one of those people from the streets doing what he can to get out of that scenario, right? Trying to better myself, trying to make a better path. Because although I grew up around a community and, and heavy influence of people from my own bloodline, and when I say this, my bloodline goes really back to even my great-grandfather being the chief of Native Americans to my uncles being co-founders and creators of the original gangs of Chicago, the Black gangs, meaning people think gangs are all associated with violence, but historically the gangs back in the 70s and 80s was created just like the Black Panthers to help empower Black men and women, help empower communities. So I had a lot of that influence on me. Uh, It just so happens that in the 80s, when cocaine, specifically crack, was introduced into a lot of marginalized communities, things started changing because there was money to be made there was territories there was fighting there was more gangs being created there was just a lot of uh, a lot of things happening a lot of moving parts for black america so i grew up in those in those in that 80s being heavily influenced by members of my own family my cousins and them that were big time d boys what we call them drug dealers but call them d boys and that route had an influence on me but a very productive very independent woman, which was my mother, also had an influence on me. So me having those two influences, I always try my best to do as best as I can. But there was things in my life that I, decisions and, and experiences I just had to go through as a young black man living in America that I just couldn't avoid. I just couldn't avoid it all to get to point B after point A. And it just so happened those experiences caught up with me. So there I was trying to make sense of it all in, in prison. Never been arrested in my life. Never had a speeding ticket, and it just so happened this one time I got indicted, and it was just the worst. It's the difference between the people of your city, the people of your county, people of your state versus you versus when you had the people of the United States of America versus you. It's pretty heavy shit. <laughs> you, feel, you feel like you're a terrorist. You feel like you're an outcast. You don't feel like your government is at you for uh, usually a good reason, um, and and so. Here I was, uh, getting, uh, getting ready to serve my time, and and just trying to make sense of it all. And I got down on my knees. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious by any any means, and nothing against people in their own beliefs and stuff like that. But I was trying to make sense of what the situation was about. And I got on my knees, in my cell, and opened up my my higher vibrations, and and some people may say prayer some people may say meditation but i spoke to my own belief system and, and 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 the universe trying to make sense of it all and everything pointed to that memory when i was 8 years old that i described early on in this episode the chicken wings and it was like a light bulb went off meaning that Now I get what karma means because I didn't know what karma meant up until that point. I only heard karma once, and that was from my lawyer that represented me. My lawyer who represented me in my case, it was the first time a male, a black male of his stature had a heart to heart with me saying that, you know, basically what you're getting ready to experience. Because we had an opportunity to go to trial. But like he told me, if we lose if we lose this case, you're 21, 22, you're not going to be coming home until you're 31, 32. This is the feds. And they feel like you're wasting taxpayers' money. So if you have a, he's like, you and I both know you're not completely innocent in the terms of, you, you know, you had a very rough upbringing, but what you're getting ready to go through is called Karma. And his his recommendation, you know, it's totally was up to me. Is either we can go to trial, but this is the consequence. I hate to see you throw away your twenties, or you can man up and take full responsibility. And I chose to man up, take full responsibility because he's right. I'm not innocent completely. I did make mistakes. I did do some shot calling and made some decisions that landed me in that situation. And I, I took it to the chin. I took full responsibility. So that karma pointed to that memory. And that's when I decided right there to create this mantra for myself. That light bulb went off of my house. Like, I get it now. This is what the universe wants to show me that I'm not going to go back into my community to contribute to poison being put into my community or in the harm of any other human being. But I'm also not going to contribute to this multi-billion dollar industry that's destroying over 50 billion animals. So I created this mantra right then and there for myself that if it requires harm, then all and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. So I did a hard reset and decided right then and there not to eat animal products. Well, go vegetarian. I didn't know about the dairy industry. I thought I was doing enough by just not having any meat, and I didn't want to have anything to do with any type of death or evil or destruction. So yeah, I stopped right there my first week in prison and uh, never looked back.
1: And what did you eat?
2: I ate a lot of carbs with my cellmates. I would trade my meat-based protein with them for the carbs. So I ate a lot of potatoes, pasta, rice, oatmeal, peanut butter, bananas, eggs, scrambled eggs, uh, bread, tons of bread. (laughs) Off a commissary, I would uh, buy veggies and ate a lot of quinoa when we could. And a lot of those little instant soups with the little pasta in it, tons of that. We would make our own burritos uh, out of tortilla chips and a lot of beans, a lot of beans and rice with that. And roll that up into a microwave and I eat a lot of that stuff. So, yeah.
1: I'm curious what it was like to go into prison a certain way and, and have those connections that you did. And then to come out of prison as a seemingly whole new person. Were you able to maintain any of your connections or did you just start fresh completely with just your family?
2: When you say connection, you mean did I go back into street life and just mm-hmm. disown mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, I pretty much cut off that form of life. I didn't want to have anything to do. When I came home, my attitude was more militant. I was almost like militant with my thinking, like Malcolm X was when he came home. And prison can either make you or break you or change you or even trap you in Um, Or even help you evolve. We didn't have programs in prison to teach inmates new skill sets or nothing like that. So that's why I chose to remove the products from my lifestyle and my energy. I didn't want negative energy. That's why I chose to work out. I went from being over 250 pounds, I got all the way down to... Like 185, 187, I lost a lot of weight uh, and I became one of the strongest guys in prison because there was a population of about 1,200 or so or more. And we would have what was called liftoffs and we would lift off against each other. So I was in the top 10, just benching heavyweight, benching over 400 pounds, uh, deadlifting over 500 pounds like it was nothing. Curling, (laughs) curling like 100-pound dumbbells on each arm, which I still can do to this day, 90s and 100s. But but that's insane Like compared to... Well, it was viewed as being insane. They viewed me as that crazy and that weirdo, like, this guy's vegetarian. He's like... (laughs) (laughs) He's like killing it. But yeah, when I came home, I didn't want to even listen to rap music. I didn't want to listen to nothing that was negative, negative words. I just removed myself from my old connections and my old ties. And I just focus on trying to get back on my feet and do everything the right way. And prison had that much of an impact on me where I didn't never want to go in there again. Every day felt like a Sunday. And I don't know if you ever felt, you ever had those days where you're like, this is really dragging on, a long day. And you're thinking about that Monday. <laughs> That's how I felt in prison. Every day felt like a Sunday. Meanwhile, the world is just moving fast paced without you. And I didn't want to be in that anymore. I didn't want to go back to that anymore. So my focus was getting back on my feet, getting the job and uh, continuing to evolve.
0: Wow. I mean, I feel incredibly inspired by those major life altering choices that you made in those moments. I mean, it's one thing to make those decisions when you have a lot of influences around you and people that you can that are sort of modeling that behavior. I'm curious if there were influences around you, like how did you find that path? Like, were there people who you saw kind of using prison to better themselves or using those experiences to really change their life? Or did that really come within you and you felt like you were totally alone paving a path that you didn't even see an example of?
2: I was alone the whole time i always been a loner. Uh, that's why I, I had a tiger tattooed on me. Like, tigers hunt solo, they're like stealth. And versus like lions, they hunt, hunt in a pack. Male lions are like cowards in a sense. They have to rely on female lions for hunting, right? <laughs> like, I was just never extrovert in that sense where I needed to be social with people, right? Even though I was part of a gang, I still was uh, doing my own thing. And that says a lot about the type of person I am. So with that being said, it was always in me, right? You know, I was always just a different guy. I always thought critical and even more advanced with respect to my thinking and logic has always been rational. And it's just like a math. I look at life as math. This formula works, this formula may not work. And well, why would I attempt to make this work when I know it's not gonna work? It makes no sense. And so it was just really within me. Prison, specifically the feds. It's a lot different than state prison, which is what we call a gladiator school. State prisons are a little bit more violent, you it's gangs where it's gangs and stuff like that. The feds, you in there with everybody from white collar crime executives to former judges, former soldiers that went AWOL because they didn't want to fight a war, uh, people that try to rob banks, Native Americans that had a DUI off the reserves to drug kingpins, you name it, just all types of interesting federal crimes. But it's usually usually most inmates are either at the top tier of that crime or they it was a high level crime where they was a leader in a sense. You know what I mean? Or a different type of criminal than your typical petty criminal. You're not in there with rapists, you're not in there with violent people. So it's just an interesting makeup. But at the end of the day, these are still men, the typical what people call today the bros, meaning they were very traditional in a sense of masculinity, not thinking more critical of why they landed in there or really interested in rehabbing and stuff like that or interested in maybe taking a hard look at themselves and really truly learning their own emotions and own feelings. And that's what I spent time doing. Not only rebuilding my body, but also rebuilding my, my, my brain, my, my thoughts, and the way I view the world. I truly learned myself in there. Everybody thinks they know themselves out here, but it's very hard for you to learn yourself because you're so distracted by family, friends, devices. And when you have that removed, when it's just you and you only, you have no form of communication from the outside, you become a different person. You really you become more spiritual, you become more grounded, and you really find your way.
1: I think it's so interesting that you made that connection on your own to what you put in your body and how it can make you feel. Because I know that for me growing up, that was not part of my upbringing. Food was for taste and that was pretty much it. And it wasn't until someone verbally told me, hey, you're going to feel not so great if you keep eating the way you eat is when I started to make changes, but you did that on your own. Can you talk a little bit about any resources that you had besides your own mind (laughs) in prison? Were there any books to read? Were there people to talk to? I know you said it was a pretty lonely journey, but I'm so curious how you fed your soul and your mind with these new ideas.
2: That first week when I was on my knees and really trying to make sense of it all, everything pointed to that eight-year-old, when I was a, a, an eight-year-old with the chicken wings, looking at them as arms. I promise you, this came out of nowhere. That memory instantly inserted in my brain when I was trying to figure out, why am I here? And I admit, I kind of felt like I was better than those inmates at that time. I don't feel that way now, but at that time, I just felt like I could be doing better things with my time. Because you got to understand, they were, when when I got indicted, I was in my entry-level position in healthcare, Right. I was already negotiating some of the claims as well as worker compensation. I was on my way to a fast track where, if I wasn't removed, I would have became a really amazing healthcare executive. Which, by the way, when I came home, I did get back into healthcare and I did went on to become a healthcare executive. But here I was at this entry level corporate position, uh, getting ready to finish college. And I had already had to create a background to advance architecture, so I was i am not not—I'm not the typical criminal, right? It was just different. Like I was always a thinker, like really rational. But sitting there, that memory—it just came out of nowhere, inserted in my head. But one of the motivating factors for me to really mm-hmm. make that promise to myself, just to basically not do harm on to anything, was the fact that they gave me basically a ten-year sentence, five years of hard and five years of house arrest, first-time offender, which is crazy, but this is the feds. And part of me really wanted to get home sooner than later. And that was more like my own promise to not only myself, but the universe. Like, listen, I'm going to remove meat out of my diet in order to show that how serious. And I guess you could say at the sense of time, I guess in retrospect, now that I'm speaking about this, I guess you could say even though, I'm spiritual now. I was borrowing from that, borrowing from what people identify today as being more religious, where you're like giving up something for Lent per se. So I was trying to make that promise to myself in the universe, like to show how serious I am about trying to get home through a new law that may can be introduced to reduce my time or this program called the drug program that I wanted to be eligible for, but they kept saying no. And I promise you, when I denounced meat from my diet and when I decided to do this hard reset, one week after that experience on my knees, my counselor called me in and was like, okay, Thompson, you're going to do about a year, year and a half here here in Minnesota. Uh, if you keep your nose clean, do fight, something like that. And getting in trouble, we're going to ship you to Colorado, Florence, Colorado. And I was like, what am I doing going to Colorado? You already got me over a thousand miles away from Chicago, which is my hometown, my roots. I can't even get people to come see me. And I was like, well, he's like, you should be happy because Florence is uh, where one of our drug programs is. I was like, drug program? He's like, yeah, you're eligible. You're going to go. Uh, you're, was approved. Your lawyer was able to get that into your PSI and all of that. And basically that gives you up to 36 months off your sentence, which I wasn't supposed to be eligible for that. You had to be a former drug addict or a former alcohol abuser and stuff like that. And I was none of that. I, never, I was never into drugs. I sold it, but it's just not a part of my culture. I never experienced drugs. The only drug I ever experienced was marijuana. But my lawyer was able to find in my old medical record chart how when I was 13, I had my first drink of 40 ounces of eight-ball old English beer. <laughs> and I remember like it was yesterday. But he was able to find that in my medical record chart and submit that. And we went with that, you know, if that makes sense uh, to get time off my sentence. And I felt like this is just the universe working in my favor because I believe in this new lifestyle. I believe this is the way I, be- I, I it took basically for me to be touched by the feds or to be serving time for me to understand never, never, never again to put myself in this type of situation for no amount of money, no matter no amount of environment, product, anything. It, it's just it truly changed me. Some people, it don't, but some people, it takes one time for you to sit down. And I'm not talking about sitting night, sitting, sitting overnight in some county waiting no, on your bell. I'm talking about calendars. When you do it in calendars, it can change a man or woman. It really could. And that's what happened with me. And to answer your question, I don't mean to cut you up, but to answer your question, this happened about 19, 20 years ago. We didn't have influencers. We didn't have social media. We didn't have documentaries. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't because I wasn't doing it for health reasons. I was doing it. I was an ethical vegetarian, meaning like I was doing it for ethical reasons. But I didn't know what the fuck was going to happen. Excuse my language. I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> I just didn't know. And all I know is that if it was me, Or if it required harm, then no, I don't want anything about it. Do anything about it. So I kind of just went on a whim with it. I didn't have any type of influence in there. We had a couple Muslims in there, but they still would eat like white meat. Some different levels of different Muslims. We had the five percenters. We had the Nation of Islam. We had Sunnis. We had more. We had a lot, a lot of different fractions of Muslims. But no other inmate was an influence, or another other group or demographic was an influence. I really was going out there on a whim. And I came, became like my own project, my own Frankenstein. And I lost weight. I lost inflammation. My body changed. I got stronger. I got faster. My skin cleared up. I just felt great. Like my abs was showing. All of that. Like the old football Dominic that used to play high school was showing up. Like the, everything was just transforming. It was, it was, it was an incredible. And I tell people to this day, if I can describe, which I wouldn't know what it feels like, when that person first got their first high, if it's a drug or let's say you had your first drink, everybody had that first buzz. That's how I felt. It was just such a, one of the greatest feelings that I had a chance to experience when I went, uh, when I stopped eating meat. That transformation within those two months was just amazing, an amazing journey. A really amazing journey. It's the closest thing I felt to feeling like a superhero.
1: That was a lot of good stuff in there. Something I wanted to expand on a little more is that, you said that you were 250.
2: Over 250, yeah, over 250.
1: Over 250. And then you actually posted about this on Instagram recently, the transformation that you made uh, from being someone who was over 250 pounds to then being an incredible athlete. So was it in prison that you started becoming more of an athlete as well?
2: Yeah, so again, I, I had the foundation of an athlete. I played football growing up. I was a really hell of a football player. I played middle linebacker. I was really good. I was always naturally athletic. So when I say I was over 250 pounds, it wasn't obese. It was husky. It was it was inflammation from that fast life. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't like a true obese. You guys can see the picture. But it was definitely overweight. But it losing that weight, I just went back to the foundation, the core of what, how amazing, how energetic. I, f- I felt like a high school teenager again. I felt all... Oh, young again, I did, I, I, I felt good. It, I didn't feel like lifting weights was a chore. I mean, I had that foundation, I had that knowledge there. I picked up my first dumbbell when I was like, I, know, I think I was in fifth grade. Yeah, fifth grade, picked up my first dumbbell. So I I have a foundation and i understanding what I need to do and how to work out. But I took basically a break from that post high school, senior year to street life and, and more. But went back to the basics and just really excel. So yeah, I, I I knew what I need to do as far as the basics of the workout. Then I got involved in what we call in prison a car. A car is you plus either two guys or four guys, and you we you it's like you're in a, a vehicle, moving car, and you guys work out together. Y'all eat together. Y'all, y'all basically train hard together, and we will push each other in that car to. Really hit those, what these young guys call gains. (laughs) We would push each other hard. We would try to outlift each other, but we would work out. I was working out three, four times a day, like hardcore on that weight pile, you know, and that kept the stress level down because when you're not getting letters from the outside, that really helps. Like, I wasn't getting letters from people, like, as far as communication. I was doing a lot of reading, a lot of writing, and just working out.
1: When you were out of prison. Did you continue maintaining that athletic lifestyle?
2: Yes and no. Uh, so keep in mind when I came home I was on house arrest. So I couldn't go to the gym. I could only go to work. I had a curfew from 6 to um, 6 p.m. to 6 or 7 p.m. to like 6 a.m. I was required to be in the house where they would call my house landline all types of hours unexpectedly. Uh, I would have to speak back into synthesis that was given to me to make sure voice recognition was uh, a green light and approved the that they had on 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 file. Part of my prison release, that was what I had to do, and also I had to give up my DNA and everything. This was like, it was crazy of the restrictions I had, and I couldn't go, I, I couldn't go to work. And so a lot of the working out that I did while I was on house arrest was basically what people did on COVID, during COVID, which is, it, it, it was kind of funny seeing people panicking and getting upset about not being able to work out and feeling like they're in prison. And I'm like, that's not real prison. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's, <laughs> you guys are very yeah. privileged. But I went back to the bases. I just did a lot of push ups and more like I, I, I worked out at home. So I so I wasn't able to really go hard. But it was enough for me just to pretty much maintain. But I, I never let myself go. You know what I mean? Like I never let myself go completely, if that makes sense.
0: So at that point, you come home, you tell your mom, so I'm not harming anyone anymore. (laughs) My diet's different. Like I know we were compromising before and I was eating fish sticks and whatnot, but like no more. What happened then? How did she react? How did your siblings react?
2: When I came home, uh, my mom was like, yeah, they took my baby and she, they thought I was going through a fad and they didn't think it was gonna, I was gonna stick with this new diet. And she did everything in her power to try to, you know, it kind of broke her heart because she, you know, really got a sense of being rewarded. Well, not rewarded, but she felt good about cooking for her son or cooking for her kids. And here I was, not cooking some of her, some of my favorite meals that she would cook growing up. And I was like, I don't want it. Like I was like, don't waste your your money and your food, mom. I don't. I'm not eating like that anymore, but yeah, she looked at my face and my. she was able to see my bone structure and she did not like the way I look. She, to her, again, she's from a different timeline. That was not normal. That inflammation that she thought that was around my face before prison was normal and healthy. And here I was, my bone structure showing, my abs showing, uh, my... my vascular veins protruding through my forearms through my biceps. And there it was just unreal to her. A, a totally different transformation, totally looking son, different son that she really didn't recognize. Uh so and 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 my family just they it took them a while to realize that no, this is not a fad. And most of them did get it. My sisters got it because I have always been a no nonsense guy. I was always been a guy that would I put my mind to it? If I say something, I mean it. My word is bond. Like I'm I'm a man of integrity. So my I'm not a I'm not a follower. I'm a leader in that sense. So a lot of them knew that, no, this is not a fad. If he's onto it, he's onto it. Uh yeah. And so same as old childhood friends that was not connected to the drug world of connections that I used to be involved in. So yeah, yeah, I stuck with it and never looked back.
1: I think I understand what you're talking about when your family looks at you and they're like, um, maybe put some meat on your bones because in my culture, (laughs) being as small as I am is constantly commented on where you're, you're, you're like, your mom is trying to feed you, your cousins telling you, you definitely need to be eating more. (laughs) And so I, I think I understand what you mean.
2: Yeah, they 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 think you're sick or something. They just they don't they view you having some size on you, some some fat in your face and being a little bit of, you know, husky or round is is normal and it's not. That that's not normal. And a lot of families feel that way. So, yeah, she and others it took them a while to understand and what I was doing and that was just being vegetarian. That wasn't even being vegan. And then I later moved on to going all the way vegan, uh, completely vegan, which is again, they respected it and they couldn't really make sense of it, but they knew that I was in it for the long run. So
1: All right. So that's what we brought you on to talk a little bit more about. Especially going vegan and then pairing that with being an athlete. You have done some incredible things in the athletics department, including triathlons, which just, I get exhausted thinking about it. So can you (laughs) talk about what that was like for you? And were you ever hungry? Were you ever deprived? Uh, So many people have a misconception about what it's like to be a vegan and an athlete. So can you help educate?
2: So I've been vegetarian, like... Up into that point for ten years, and finally got on my feet. Finally got off a of house arrest. Finally moving on with life. Uh, into my twenties, off on a strong note. Early thirties, starting my early thirties, got uh, and and I was just really climbing in corporate America as a healthcare executive. So I finally got a chance to. You got to understand, my twenties was spent dealing with the legal system. I, I didn't have a life in the twenties, and here I am, thirty-one at the time working in healthcare for this $9 billion company, I finally had a chance to go down that rabbit hole of what up until that point, why did my body transform so easily? Why was I stronger? And I was also reading these new articles coming out and stuff like that, that really triggered my interest to really look further into this this plant-based diet that and even though I was classified as a vegetarian, I still was eating vegan more than anything. It's just that my vegetarian type of lifestyle was I may have cheese pizza or I would buy products that had dairy or eggs in it as far as like box foods and didn't think it was a big deal because I didn't know. I was I was ignorant to the fact what was truly happening in the dairy industry. And... And then earthlings came out around the same time. All of this was happening around the same time when I had a chance to really study and look into it. And then that's when I discovered holy shit, they're doing what to dairy animals? They're raping them. They're stealing these male cows for veal. They're explo- sexually exploiting the mama cows to the the young cows, the female cow. I just when I when I learned truly what was happening with the dairy industry. I instantly, just like that first week in prison, removed that whole thought, removed everything out of my fridge. The yogurts was gone. The eggs was gone. Anything, boxed foods. That's when I really went into educating myself about ingredients, really started really being critical of that. (laughs) And I remember, too, I was I came home. I was living in New York at the time. This is right when I moved to New York, too. By the way, to be in New York, to be a vegan in New York was definitely an incredible experience in a lot of different capacities to activism and more but i remember my ex when she came home at the time uh because she she's been vegetarian since she was in high school and she came home like where's my yogurt <laughs> and like the, all, all the yogurt, yogurt and ice cream was gone I was like that shit is in the garbage we ain't eating none of that again she's like what do you wait what what, what? she's like what are you talking about I was like, uh, we're going vegan. She's like, no, you're going vegan. <laughs> I was like, no, we're going vegan. If you want to be with me and if we're living together, our house is not going to have none of that mess, none of that energy in this house. None of it. Like, I, you know, I, it's just not happening. It's not going to fly. And she was an alpha female. I'm an alpha male. And we usually compromise. We compliment each other. But that was when we bumped heads. Um, and I was like, "Listen, you're lucky I didn't throw out your purses." Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, seriously, because uh, she she was a lawyer. I met her while she was in law school, and she was a lawyer. Just um, again, I went down that rabbit hole. That's when I discovered fabrics. I just didn't know. Like you, you, you don't. And this is why I don't judge people so much. Like you, just don't make those other connections. You don't make the connections of cosmetics. You don't make the connections of fabrics. You just don't make those connections. And when I went down that rabbit hole, I went down that rabbit hole and I just started looking at everything in our place, including her purses. And I started judging her like, hmm, you know what? These Louis Vuitton's gotta go. All, all these are she had these are thousand dollar purses that she had for being a, a New York lawyer, first year to second year New York lawyer. I get it. You know, it's it's to be expected as an associate. It's a culture, you know, it's part of their culture that. Environment, even my shoes. I had on very expensive shoes. My suits was full of wool and linen and everything like that. I would wear three piece suits to work when I needed to go into the office and stuff. So I just started looking at everything, everything, and just instantly changed. Like it was done. It was a done deal. It was it was done. Went vegan pretty much right there. Never looked back. I felt like a hypocrite because all those years as a vegetarian, I would pretty much educate people and tell people why yes this is the best lifestyle yes go vegetarian or if you want to go vegan i don't care just just stop eating meat not realizing you need to also stop eating animal products (laughs) like like this is what's happening to the dairy animals too as well and also health-wise dairy and eggs are not healthy for you you know dairy cows that milk is made for Caps, baby cows, just like cat milk is made for baby cats, and dog milk is made for baby dogs. We're the only species that drinks milk from another animal. It made no rational sense. When you look at it logically and even look at your hands, our physical attributes, we're just not engineered like apex predators or any other carnivore to truly eat those type of products. So everything logically made sense, and I went— uh, and I felt amazing. It was it was an easy switch. Uh, it, it wasn't bad. Now, granted, we didn't have all these amazing products that you have today to help you transition. We didn't have the Gardeins, the Beyond Meats, the So Delicious yogurts and all of that. But I didn't care. When you think about where the sourcing of those products come from, it's nothing about that type of food you miss. I don't care who you are. When you truly think about it, when you critically, critically think about the sourcing, It's not a flavor or taste out there that you would miss. Because people ask me all the time, you don't miss Chicago-style pizza? Absolutely not. Not if you know where it really comes from. So I don't. I didn't miss it. And I switched that. And I, at that point, I was still Jack. I was still lifting heavy weights. But I just started, my recovery just started really happening more rapidly than it was before on a vegetarian diet. I was able to recover from a hard workout I would have in the morning to the point that I wasn't going to the gym second time in the day for lunch hour to look a certain way I was going because I had so much more energy. I needed an outlet. I had to unload this new energy that I couldn't describe. And I would go to the gym for lunch. Instead of Friday nights on lunch or going out for lunch, I would spend my lunch hour going to Equinox next to my office um, in New York City and work out and even after work i was like you know i got a lot of energy i need to start running i started running and i started getting into running started running on the brooklyn bridge to west side i was running all over manhattan (laughs) and i started using the city bike instead of jumping on the train to go home and biking and i just and then i would pass up different bikers that was on from the courier bikers to the food delivery bikers to men and women that was going on a road bike to either central park or right up the west side highway and a buddy of mine's aaron really good friend of mine, he works in he lives in dc and he runs his own um company too in dc with uh, defense contracting he reached out to me and he was like yeah man i see you you know you're in new york now you're close to me what do you think about doing the triathlon with me and i was like oh that's nothing <laughs> i was like because I, I i was in what at that time i was in the best shape of my life best shape of my life i was feeling good jack feeling great right and i was like let's do it it was like competitive and i was like because it always been on my mind to do an Ironman. man like i used to see it on nbc as a kid i was like you know one day i'm gonna do that uh but i it just never i never got around to it and he's like well let's do a spartan run let's just get you into endurance like he kept warning me he's like let's just do some let's do some pre-races like we'll do a Spartan race, do a Tough mother but you, until you get your bike cuz I didn't have a bike. Uh he's like just for I run the bike is going to cost you a lot of money and I was like okay, I'll look into bikes. And I was looking into bikes. Oh my god, those bikes they was out of my budget. They was pretty much out of my budget. Like it was <laughs> that those bikes was running anywhere between $4,000 all the way up to $12,000. Yeah, for a road bike. So in the meantime you know, I started putting my money to the side because if you know anything about New York, New York is very expensive. We was already paying at that time, and at, at, at my, my first place in New York was like thirty-seven hundred dollars for rent. But I put my money to the side because I was really, really wanted wanted to get me a, a legitimate road bike, not some off-the-market or cheap bike. And I did. I eventually got my bike uh, that cost me six grand when it was all said and done with the wheels. But it was the best investment. To this day, that bike is still, I still ride that bike. It's a carbon. It's made of carbon, weighs 15 pounds. I've been on over 50 races in it. It really is a high performance piece of engineering that I I really love. But I decided to do the triathlon. And my first one was an Ironman 70.3. <laughs> and I thought I was in shape. and. I was in gym rat shape. I wasn't in endurance shape. Two different types of athletes. Um, And this is what the problem is for a lot of athletes today, even today. You think because someone looks aesthetically appealing, uh, their cardiovascular is in shape, or you think that they are able to perform it all types of levels athletically. And that's just not true. You can't take a basketball player or a football player and expect them to excel in marathon running or vice versa. Marathon running to excel in fast twitch or strength training. It really takes time and energy to focus on that discipline so you can thrive. So my first Ironman was one of the worst experiences of my life. Uh, But I did complete it. But it was Definitely something that I learned a lesson from. You have to put in the volume, you have to put in the work and the train truly for that triathlon. Because when I seen that 80-year-old triathlete run past me on my first <laughs> race. <laughs> granted, and here I was, I was like 33 34. But it was inspiring. Don't get me wrong, because that woman, somebody grandmother, she passed by, middle-aged, experienced triathletes like it was nothing. But she rode right past me. She's like, come on, youngster. Come on, you got this. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> flew past me. Flew past me. But I was in so much pain. I was cramping. Uh, I I I was in pain, and I, I crossed that finish line. I was so happy to cross it, and, and I swore it off. I was like, I'm never doing this again, ever again. But... I did end up doing it again because I was I became addicted. I wanted to beat my time, I wanted to get, I wanted to prove to myself I can truly become a triathlete. And I never looked back. I done tons of triathlons after that, but I trained right, smart, tweaked my nutrition, because it's a different plant-based nutrition. You just can't go in there expecting to eat vegan junk food or eat supplemental uh vegan food where you're taking supplements or eat whole plant-based every, you know, that. Endurance is a lot different. You have to really tweak it and fine tune it and find out what truly works for your body. And that's why I think a lot of athletes get wrong in endurance sports. They don't really tweak their meal plan according to their body and how it responds and how their body will truly thrive from such a very taxing sport, which is triathlons.
1: So what advice do you have for people who want to really get into endurance sports and maintain a plant-based diet?
2: I would say just do it. Jump out the window, but be smart about it. <laughs> Jumping out the window like I did, it could be fun. It could be fun experience because I'm the type that if we're going to jump out the window, we're going to go to the roof. Like, let's jump. If we're going to jump, jump. But you can also have a more pleasant experience if you go slow. There are sprint distances. You have different levels. You have four Ironmans. You have half Ironmans. You have Olympic distances. You have sprints. You can take that slow approach, uh, find you a local triathlon group to train with, to bike with, uh, invest in a quality bike if you have it on your budget. There are some bikes under $1,000, but understand it might not be the most pleasant ride where you'll be hurting in other areas that you never thought you were hurting, but it's an expensive sport, but it's a fun sport. And it's one of those sports that is really rewarding because you can never get tired of it, meaning like you can never... You can always beat yourself who you was tomorrow. No one goes out there and so let's play triathlon. You know, it's not like going to the gym they'll lift some PRs. You are always going to be chasing who you were in that last race. So it's a really amazing experience.
0: Your advice to just jump in and go for it. I love that. My friend and I one time spontaneously signed up to run well, it was called an ultramarathon, but it wasn't really an ultra marathon. It was like you just went around and around this lake as, as many times as you could. So I ended up running 46 and a half miles. Nice. And it, it, it was kind of crazy. The most I had run before that was like five miles. But <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah, it was insane. I really wouldn't recommend it. But I do think it is a testament to when you are living on plants and eating healthfully, the the degree to which you're able to push your body is kind of insane.
2: (laughs) It really is. I really accredit the fact that, like I said, my recovery, I felt good. Now, granted, triathlon, swim, bike, run, it's it's more than one discipline. So that's why I felt miserably. I felt really, I, I just basically was not Really, a good triathlete. My first race because you do have to put in that volume of work, no matter your t- nutrition. And I was cocky, uh, like I said, I felt like I had enough training. I was, but I was in gym rat shape. That's just a different parts of your body, and muscle group that you're working. But when I tell you that second race, I kicked the ass, and races beyond that, I, I was ready. I was ready. So yeah.
1: And have you been able to stay in shape during quarantine? I know everyone is. It's really trying to get moving, but it's difficult.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I haven't been able to. Again, I just went back to the basics, doing a lot of push-ups and just maintaining. But now, the good news is, I have took. So I took four years off from triathlon training to focus on my startups, and now what COVID has done since it had an impact on my travel. I would usually travel 50% of the time for work given speaking engagements and more. With COVID canceling all my speaking engagements, it gave me the opportunity to get back into triathlon training. So I, for the last two weeks, going on three weeks, I've been transitioning back into a full triathlon training, biking, running, and I'm going to get back into swimming in the next couple of weeks because next year I plan on coming back really strong and having a really great race season if COVID permits that. So yeah, it's been a, it's been good. Uh, That's my pro to my own experiences with COVID is the fact that I'm, I'm able to do things that I haven't been able to do over the last couple of years uh, and focus on that. So yeah.
1: I want to just change the subjects completely for a little bit, because this is my favorite thing about following you. I am not going to have human children, but I have a dog. And so when I see other people who really love their doggies as their children, it just warms my heart. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about your doggie.
2: Yeah, my kid, she's right here in front of me. (laughs) She's going to probably perk up like, oh, here you go again. Tell them my origin story without my permission. (laughs) My kid... She's been with me for 14 years, pretty much since I came home. How she got introduced to me is my mom, she remarried uh, to her current husband, who was originally from St. Thomas Island, and they would every year go to St. Thomas Island to visit his family and more. And this one year that they went, which was the year that I returned home from prison, she discovered this little beautiful little creation this little fur ball so what people don't understand about different islands is a a lot of dogs are not fixed and they have a lot of offsprings and 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 more so anyway this little fur monster my mom pretty much rescued from saint thomas brought her back and um, and my mom's not an animal lover by any means in that sense i mean she's an animal she loves animals don't get me wrong but she wasn't for her to go out her way and this is post nine eleven where it was really hard to bring any animal from any part of the world back into the u s. She had to end up paying fines and more. but she fell in love with with her. She was this little puppy scratching at her feet. she um, was uh, part of this um, uh, pack of maybe four puppies from these two dogs that was rescued by one of her husband's friends and they, they just didn't know that the dog was preggers and that dog those dogs was going to end up being street dogs anyway and they pretty much were street dogs halfway because they don't live there full time but she brought her back to the states and she fought she had to pay fines and everything like that but that was her baby and but when she brought her back her husband had three chihuahuas already that was part of you know he, he came with his package that was his package <laughs> uh even though all even though his kids was grown and her kids was grown and stuff like that and again this is an older couple he still had his fur kids, and he loved those three chihuahuas. They, he had this, the father, and the father had a son and a daughter, and they, it was the three of them. They was like this little pack, but she didn't integrate well with them. Chihuahuas is usually a very aggressive breed, and they was trying to bite her, uh, trying to harm her, because she was still like the size of two of my fists together, and she can defend herself. So my mom would like, put her in a bed with her because she didn't want them fighting her. Uh, and trying to harm her but he was being the tradis- traditional masculine and i knew she must be down there on the floor with her brothers and sisters he was fighting with my mom about that she's like no dummy he, she they're trying to hurt her <laughs> she's not not gonna put her on the floor in the bed with them they're not they're not liking her at all he's like well if she gets in the bed they all get in the bed my mom was like no the hell they ain't like my mom did not like those chihuahuas like that she didn't really love them like she loved um soka which is her name that's her name her government name is soka she was named after this, the saint thomas dance called the soka so she called me you know telling me what the problem and stuff like that and i always had dogs in my life in some type of capacity i grew up raising german shepherd i always been like a big dog dude and even right before i got indicted i had a pit bull as well and she was telling me i was like well you know Bring her to me. I have this big three-bedroom apartment on the west side of Chicago. Now, granted, I stayed in the hood, but it was still my little place uh, post-prison. It's all I can afford. But it was nice in the inside, and I was there on curfew, and it was just me. And again, I didn't have any distractions. Only thing I had was blockbuster video. That's it. <laughs> I would come home and work out. And I mean, I would come home and from work and work out and And I was like, yeah, bring her to me. Let me raise her for six months and I'll give her back to you. I had no idea what breed of a dog my mom was going to come over and bring. And she came over that Saturday and I opened up the door and I was like, where is she at? And she pointed down and right between her legs, this little beautiful monster uh, that looked like Gizmo from the Gremlins (laughs) opened up her big Disney Pixler eyes and gave me a look. And I scooped her up with my hand. And I just cracked the smile. That was the first time my mom seen me smile since post-prison. And my mom started crying because uh, she thought that they took my soul. She used to say that they took your soul from away from you because, like I said, I was militant. And I smiled. And me and Soka, who everybody knows as Scruff McFly, we became instantly best friends. We, we bonded. We would eat popcorn again i would slide i have wood floors i would slide all over my place like i was michael j fox and my shirt hanging we would watch movies she's like this is great dad like you know we would, i would get on the floor like i'm a big dog and play with her like she was just the, and i know everybody can be biased of their dogs or everybody that's not having dogs or cats feel like they're all the same they're truly not she was truly one of one, one of the most unique animals, and she helped me heal. She, When I came home, like I said, I was militant, which you can look at as a form of depression because I didn't know what my future was going to look like. I thought my life was over. She truly helped me transition and heal, um, showed me how to love again, and she became my best friend. Obviously, I never gave it back to my mom. Um and we just bonded. Uh, I knew her, she knew me, and we really bonded for those 2 years while I was on house arrest before I was able to get the other 3 years uh, reduced and removed. But yeah, I would come home, she was basically my partner in crime, my roommate, my everything and the love of my life and we've been together for 14 years.
1: That is wow. such a sweet story. <laughs> I love that. All right, well, thank you so much for sharing so much of your life. I feel like I know you a lot better now, and I'm grateful
2: for that. <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, for sure. this has
0: been incredibly inspiring. I mean, you've had a lot working against you from the beginning, and I know... Anyone who's in those shoes, the story could have ended up a lot differently. So, I I just am really amazed and inspired by the choices that you've made and where you are today, and how you're using your voice, your abilities, your strength, your experience, your experience, your platform, everything that you've created and built from where you began to help others and inspire others. And I know you have a lot of resources and. Your website and eat what elephants eat, and all of this that you've created to help people. So, we'd love for you to share a little bit of that um, where people can find you, learn more, and get extra doses of this massive inspiration.
1: And we'll also include those in the show notes as well for people.
2: And I appreciate that you guys allowing uh, on your platform for that. And yeah, so if people want to find me, I'm just easy to find. You can type in Dominic Thompson on Instagram or anywhere on the Google search, and I come up everywhere. But my Instagram handle is Dom's Thompson, D O M Z T H uh, O M P S O N. And if you want to eat plant based and really be a part of an amazing experience of eating plant based and support our mission and our cause, uh, follow Eat What Elephants Eat. It's a really amazing company, and I'm really proud of what we're doing over there. Uh, one of the most amazing food, food and nutrition companies out there. So, yeah, thank you.
0: That's Thank amazing. You. I feel like we could talk to you for hours more, like just digging into all these different things. So maybe we'll have to bring you on again <laughs> in the future. So,
2: yeah, we'll do a part two for sure. We'll we'll do a part two. So I'm awesome. all about it. I'll tell you maybe maybe part two can be done in person. Oh, so that that would so I would so love nice.
0: that. At your new restaurant. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, yes. for sure.
2: Yeah. I love it. Yeah. For minute, COVID allows it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As soon as we're all allowed to reconnect with human beings, we're coming to your restaurant for part two.
2: I appreciate that. Yeah.